0: Point Shot Hockey and the Area 51 Sports Network is presented by High Stick Vodka. The ultimate smooth Canadian vodka from the heart of the beautiful Okanagan. High Stick Vodka is a must-have on the shelf for any Canadian hockey fan. Whether it's the signature hockey stick bottle or the retail bottle, High Stick Vodka will always go top shelf with their double gold premium vodka. Just visit highstickvodka.com to order yours today and raise your stick with High Stick Vodka.
1: Shot scores! They score! Nate Smith! Chuck scores! Alex Adler with
0: a bomb for the point!
1: Sniped by Jack Raffbone!
0: Elias Patterson, power play goal! Back to BX, he shoots, he scores! Kevin BXX!
1: A day removed from our 3 nothing loss against the Oilers, the Canucks have now lost four in a row and sit 8-14-2, and that makes us sad. But to turn our frowns upside down, today we are joined by a man who truly needs no introduction. He is the host of the VanCast and synonymous with Vancouver Canucks media, Jeff Patterson. Thanks for joining us today, Jeff. Boys, how are you doing? Well, you know, as I said, it's a, it's a beautiful Saturday, and there's no Canucks hockey impending on the schedule. It's like a countdown waiting for, you know, impending doom, so... You know, I'll take it. <laughs> How about you? Right. They can't lose anymore in February.
2: They can't lose anymore in February, yeah, right? But right? That's- We're going to go undefeated the rest of the month. <laughs> that's what it's come to, unfortunately. But if you're looking and scratching for silver linings, they cannot be touched anymore in February. Now they could lose ground in the standings, I suppose, but uh, they can't lose anymore. And yeah, I mean, it's not just they lost three nothing to the Oilers. They've given up seven straight goals to the Oilers. When you think back to the three nothing lead that they had in the first of those two games. So uh, man, this was a dark, dark month. And uh, you kept waiting for some sort of sign that they were going to turn it around and maybe get some traction. And I know they played better of late. And I think that just compounds the problems that, you know, it's one thing in those first 15 games where, they just didn't have it for whatever reason. They didn't look anything like the team in the bubble and you lose those games. And yeah, I get it. They weren't good enough, but then, you know, the owner speaks, they find a little structure to their game and they still can't win. And so I think for the fans and probably for the team itself, like that's probably more frustrating that they have played better of late. And yet the results are what the results are two wins in their last 13 hockey games. I mean, that will never cut it at any level, but particularly the national hockey league. So uh, they've dug themselves a massive hole. They continue to dig. That's the problem. And they'll flip the calendar. And I guess we'll see what uh, March has in, in, in store for them.
3: I was just going to say, what do you think is more, more frustrating watching them and knowing that they can play better or watching them play arguably their best hockey throughout the year and still coming up short consistently?
2: Like, I, I think it's gotta be the latter. Yeah. I mean, look, the first 15 games, the story was the of line. Like what's wrong with these guys? Like, what? Well, who are they like, you know, what have you done with the lot of line guys that we all saw and, and watched dominate shifts and games last year. And now, you know, Pedersen's starting to produce on the regular, he's been a point of game guy for the last, uh, I think a dozen games, you know, best was obviously had a terrific start offensively JT Miller. I, you know, thought that's a tough one to explain and, and yeah, the points are there. And I I guess that speaks to, you know, how talented he, he is, but this game is way more than about the points. and, for the Canucks to be 24 games into the season and JT Miller stuck on four goals and two of them came in the same game against Ottawa. like (laughs) Something's (laughs) just not right there. And I know it's been, you know, talked to death and written about, and you know, one of the changes that Travis Green made, and it's unfortunate that it took an injury to Tyler Mott, but I like the fact that they got Miller involved in the penalty kill. Like there's nowhere to hide when you're penalty killing at the NHL level, right? Like it's all about just busting your ass. Like it's hard work it's read and react. And I thought, okay, like that's really a, that's a, I I like that move. I applaud that move by the coach could have gone to Tanner Pearson. You know, they were talking about Godet perhaps doing some penalty killing, but it kind of felt like in that moment, they were charging JT Miller with this assignment. Like this is going to get you into games. You're going to get ice time. And he's actually been pretty good on the penalty kill, but again, just five on five and more in his own zone than in the offensive zone just doesn't look like the player from a year ago. And so, you know, you're only as good as your best players. And there's been a ton of talk about that top line. I do think when I look at the month of February, though, guys, and I don't think enough has been made, like, look, we all love what Nils Hoglander represents as a 20-year-old rookie and the hustle and the, the battle and the fact that the Winnipeg Jets all, you know, felt the need to, like, gang up on him, all that kind of stuff but there's a bottom line element to this game. And and Nils Hoaglander hasn't scored since the final game of January in Winnipeg. And, and I don't, look, I, I, is he due? Is it some bad luck? Probably uh, this is not me dumping on Nils Hoaglander. I don't want to be that guy in this market, but I am saying that when Nils Hoaglander, you know, he scored in Winnipeg, they won that hockey game. When he scored on opening night in Edmonton, they won that hockey game. You know, they need contributions from everybody. They're just not good enough to be led by, Elias Patterson, and then a whole bunch of bit parts. And unfortunately, you know, when you look at the roster construct, I mean, it's not good enough. I think we know that. I think the record bears that out, but that second line, like Bo Horvat has set up one goal in his last 10 games. And it was to Jordy Ben to open the scoring in Calgary that night. Think about this for a second. Cause I was looking at this, I was doing some number crunching as I do when I have time on my hands. And unfortunately I've got too much time on my hands these days, <laughs> but in the last ten games, the three centers behind Elias Petterson in the Canucks lineup—Horvat, Sutter, Beagle—have combined for one assist. Ten games, one assist from your three centers behind Elias Petterson. These are your puck distributors, your playmakers, uh, and it was Horvat setting up Jordy Ben. So in ten games, not one of those three centers has set up a line mate. In the last, just stop and think about that for a second. At the NHL level, this is a team that has gone 10 games without a second, third or fourth line setter setting up a line mate
1: for a goal. Yeah, that's not good. You're not going to win many times with that. Are you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you said it best. It's in your in the bandcast. This is how hard we have to work to only lose by one or two goals. Totally. And, you know, this is the roster and, and you know, again, as you kind of were saying at the beginning there, when at the first 15 games, when it was the lotto line that looked like a disaster, I think, you know, all of us had the confidence to go, you know, Elias Pedersen's not this bad. He will pick it up. So I have, you know, reason to believe in, you know, progress yep. in the future. Now that they're playing well. And as you said, you know, we're, we're fighting this hard to still lose a game three, nothing like, you know, we, we didn't look that bad. Like, you know, it didn't look like a three, nothing game on paper if you watched it. Uh, But that's the result. And again, another great point I think you made in the VanCast is what it looks like is, you know, we just lifted that bubble experience out of our existence now, where, you know, we just continued on from the team that we finished, you know, at the end of March last year, or whatever, before the quarantine started. And, you know, all the good, you know, vibrations and you know, you think about the progress that Bo Horvat made in the playoffs, you know, I, I got a lot of confidence from them or uh, from him. You know, to me, the, the the thing that I hang on to is without that bubble experience, without Demco doing what he did against Vegas, we may be sitting here with a six times six Markstrom, you know, probably no Nate Schmidt. So, you know, who knows what our defense even looks like. Cause you know, even though Schmidt hasn't necessarily been what we want that maybe wanted to see on the offensive level, he's still been, you know, arguably our best defenseman. So imagine you, you flip that situation around and I think it could be even uglier. And again, you know, more ugly, you know, tied up cap to a you know, guy on the on the bad side of 30. So, you know, to me, other than that Demko, uh, you know, moment now, you know, I, I'm with you. I think, you know, you more or less just throw out everything that happened in the bubble and we're back to the team that we were pre-quarantined. Uh, right. And I think this is an important point. And I was one of the first
2: to sort of suggest that the bubble was a mirage. And at the time, I was sort of torn because I don't want to discount how good a guy like Korvat played with his ten goals, and uh, he really did look like the leader that I think people think that he can and, and ultimately will be. And Pedersen and Miller were basically point a game guys, and Quinn Hughes, and you know, for Hughes and Pedersen, it was their first look at postseason hockey. So, and Demko too, when he stepped in. So, like, I don't want to discount that but the more i think about this and i spent a fair bit of time thinking about it the playoff bubble was such a unique experience after a four-month layoff in the midst of a global pandemic it was neutral site it was empty buildings like it was nothing like any of these guys had ever been through and ultimately it was three opponents and they were better than minnesota like, remember, the, going into that series, the question was, is it going to be Dubnik or is it going to be Staloc, right? Like, that yeah. was the big question. <laughs> the, the Canucks were better than the Minnesota Wild. They had game breakers. The Wild didn't. I know many won the first game. But then the Canucks, you know, they took care of them. And and so, you know, was that a surprise that the seven seed beat the 10 seed? No. Like, the Canucks should have won that series. I think outside of Vancouver, people look at the St. Louis series and they say, man, the Canucks thrown the defending Stanley Cup champs. And they did. But if ever there was a time to take on the defending Stanley Cup champs, it was in a bubble during a pandemic with nobody in the building in a neutral site when the Blues clearly didn't really want to be. Like, it wasn't a normal defense, a title defense for the St. Louis Blues. And remember, too, like, Bennington didn't win a game in Edmonton last summer. He went 0-5. He lost his job. The Canucks chased him. He was terrible. Couldn't stop a puck. Again, I, this is where I, I, I feel like I'm coming down too hard on the Canucks, but let's just be realists, right? realist, like that's I try to make yeah. a career of being a realist. When I look at the Vancouver Canucks, the Blues weren't good. Tarasenko didn't play. Uh, I didn't think Petrangelo or Pareko were particularly good. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly was, and that was the huge storyline all through that series was, you know, what can the Canucks do to get around Ryan O'Reilly? Well, they could shoot pucks on Jordan Bennington. That was the the answer to the the question. He doesn't play the full 60 minutes, so. And then, let's be honest, like it was good drama against Vegas, but they were down three to one, and Thatcher Demko played out of his mind, and even at that, he had to, just to give the Canucks a chance. So, the bubble happened. It was three opponents. Now, when you are seeing more than just three opponents, and I know it's limited in this Canadian division, and there's still no fans, but, you know, the players knew what to expect other than Hoaglander, but, you know, they had been through the bubble experience. So this isn't quite as unique now as it was last summer. And it just sort of feels to me like, uh, you're right. Like what happened in the bubble happened in the bubble. And I do think that guys like Pettersson and Hughes, they'll be better for that experience. But this team does look an awful lot like the group that struggled through February into March until COVID hit and the season was halted. If you remember last year, I mean, at this time last year, the Canucks were in a little bit of a, a death spiral. They had a nine-point cushion on the playoff pack on February. The, they, they beat the Islanders in New York in overtime. Quinn Hughes had a couple of goals that afternoon. And then they went to Carolina the next day, and they lost in a shootout. And so they got three or four points, but that was the end of that 14-3 and three run. And then, really, from there on, they started to slip and slide and came right back to the pack. And so, really – This has been a continuation of that. And at the end of the day, this group has constructed, it's just, it's not good enough. And now after a month, like we saw here in February, you know, there's nowhere for anybody in the organization to hide when you win two of 13 games, you know, I I don't want to hear how well you're playing. There's a bottom line element to it. How many did you win? And the answer is two of 13.
3: Well, and seeing how we're like halfway through the season now and we've, We've already had the Francesco Aquilini tweets coming out, which is kind of a last resort, to be completely honest. And after 15 games, it's a little scary to have that come out. But where do, where do they go from here? Like, what, what's next? Like, there's really there's nobody else coming in to save the day. And aside from maybe some kind of trade where you trade really low on maybe a guy like Vertanen or Godet. I just, I don't, I'm not seeing any help coming in on the horizon. What's the next step here? Because otherwise we're in for
2: a really, really long, cold death march for the rest of the season. Right. And the owner's tweet storm has been picked apart to death, but I will say this, he got it right. When he tweeted out that it wasn't time to panic, it wasn't time to panic. Now is the time to panic, I think. (laughs) Uh, He was, you know, maybe he had this foresight that this was only going to get worse. But, you know, six games since he tweeted and they're two, two, and two. So, you know, they've won two of six games and just continues on uh, with the issues that we've seen through the month of February. You know, where does it go from here? As much as people are foaming at the mouth for change, uh, I'm not anticipating that we're going to get him. I just, not during the season. But I do think that, Jim Benning's tenure as the manager of the Vancouver Canucks is likely coming to an end. So the questions then are, you know, if that's the case, like, why wait? Like, why let him run the trade deadline? Why let him set up the expansion draft uh, and all that goes into that? Why let him, you know, work towards free agency and and setting the ground rules for the organization and and ultimately on to Pedersen and Hughes and their extensions? Like, there are massive issues that have to be taken care of here, And I just get the sense, and we've seen it, that ownership doesn't want to spend. And so the idea of paying Jim Benning to go away and and finding his replacement and paying him, uh, I I don't think it's going to happen during this season. Now, that's me just speaking, sort of, you know, my hunch. uh, If it continues, I mean, if they have a March like they had in February, like they are doing damage to the brand. And I know they're not selling tickets, but at some point they are going to have to sell tickets again and look people aren't doing much they're sitting around they're probably building their days around connect games or at least they were uh it does feel like apathy setting in for some but you know my guess is that more eyeballs than ever are on this team right now and these are consumers like if you had people buying their season tickets i think you would get people that would renew simply because they've made the investment they don't want to lose the seats that they've built up to but if you're looking at you know, customer acquisition. Now, if you're looking at trying to convert people that have watched your product on TV to get off their wallet and spend, like they are tarnishing the brand right now. And I think that's going to be a really tough sell and people are going to want to see who's in charge, who's making the decisions. Uh, You know, give me reasons that I should support this hockey club. Uh, Those are going to be hard, hard conversations. And, you know, if the owner is only going to talk to the fan base via Twitter like, I think people have some questions that they would like some answers to. And I think what we're doing here this week, as the Canucks approach, the mid- this time next week, they will be at the midway mark of a 56-game season. I think this is a big week because I think, and I know for a fact, that requests have been placed to hear from Jim Benning to get his thoughts on what's gone wrong here. Jim Benning met the media via Zoom on the first day of training camp. I think that was January the 3rd. We're at the end of February. Other than his quote to Ben Kuzma that was a huge mistake and took on a life of its own, and rightly so, given what was said, that's the only time that we've heard from the general manager of the Vancouver Canucks in a season that's off the rails in a Canadian market like this one as the architect of this group. And this goes two ways, either Jim Benning, Steps to the Zoom microphone and takes some questions. Or if he doesn't, then that's probably a bigger story. As yeah. to like, why are we not hearing from the GM? And just because he misspoke when I say misspoke, he misstepped when he said what he said to Ben Kuzma. Look, it wasn't his finest moment. But you can't then go into hiding. You just you can't, right? Like I think you owe it to the media, you owe it to the fan base. Probably it to your players. Tra- you want to Travis Green. Travis Green twice a day on game days and once a day on practice days. He has to answer questions, and a lot of them have been pointed, and he doesn't have a ton of answers right now. Like, where is the support? I know the, the owner tried to take a little bit of the heat off with his Twitter storm, but come on. Like, I, I just think in a market like this one, even if it's not your favorite part of the job, and I guess is it's not Jim Benning's favorite part of the job, there are a lot of questions. And I do think that we need to hear from the GM at some point here this week as the Canucks reach the midway mark of this season.
1: Well, with this three-day break, I, you know, I was, I was, you know, remaining hopeful. There was a little bit of foam still in my mouth that maybe something happens during this three-day break, you know, hope against hope. But I thought at minimum they would have had to do some sort of press conference release statement something because how can you, as you say, how can you possibly be silent right now? knowing everything that's going on with the you know the last words that we have out of their mouths are from francisco or i have full confidence in this you know team and and management staff and the last words from jim benning where i ran out of time you know like those are you know until they speak again those are the two points that we're always going to go back and reference to and that doesn't help them at all so i just yeah i'm obviously at a loss i'm I'm glad people are starting to make requests to jim benning i was wondering you know is he just shooting down all these requests uh, all year? Cause I'm sure obviously people are asking to talk to him. I know it's obviously not a normal situation, you know, getting yeah. to go down to the rink like you, you normally do, but you know, have you been requesting to speak to Jim Benning all year? And he's been saying, no, I'm too busy. I don't have the time or, or what's going on. Yeah. Well, obviously I'm not in the position. We can't get him on the podcast. And, and since the demise
2: of 1040, I've uh, had some other issues to tend to. So I, I haven't put in requests, but I do know for a fact that others have, And it's my understanding as well that, you know, there were requests made uh, for a reaction to the vote of confidence from the owner and those went unanswered. So, yeah, look, I, I don't think Jim has the answers. If he did, there would have been a different product on the ice. But I get that it's uncomfortable for him that he's going to get asked about contracts and cap allocation and all those types of things. But he's the manager. He's the general manager of this team. Like I am curious to hear from him why he thinks it's gone so far so fast, and if the summer was some sort of mirage, or uh, you know, let's be honest, Graden Holtby hasn't been a great signing. It, you know, and then there were concerns when they signed Braden Holtby that in the last three years his numbers have been in decline. He's on the wrong side of thirty as a goaltender. I know he is decorated with the Vesna and a Stanley Cup and all those things, but when he's been in, he hasn't been great. And he certainly hasn't played at Jacob Markstrom's level. And I think we wondered, you know, what would this group look like if they got average goaltending? And I think Thatcher Demko has stepped forward here. I'd like to see them give Demko a, a real run. Just give him a run. Uh, I think Colby has to accept that, you know, the season is, if it's not already, it's getting away from the Canucks. He'll still get paid. But I think they need to run with Demko, who, you know, was good enough in that 2 nothing loss to Winnipeg, gave up one goal, and then the Jets scored an empty netter. And then the other night against Edmonton, I thought provided them enough goaltending uh, for the Canucks to get something out of that game. But, you know, they've been shut out in two of their last four and Demko has been in for, for both of those. Like that's tough for him. So, you know, I don't know what I expect Jim Benning to say, but he certainly had enough time to think things through. And he has to know that there are going to be some pointed questions coming about uh, the construction of this hockey club and, and why it hasn't worked. And, You know, you asked, where does it go from here? You're right. Like, you know, this is the other point that I tried to make. And I I think it's important because we've heard from the organization in years gone by injuries, you know, injuries. That was, oh boy, there were injuries. They are completely healthy. Other than Tyler Mott, when you look at their opening night lineup in uh, Edmonton on the 13th of January, JT Miller didn't play that night, but he's playing now, obviously. And Tyler Mott is the only guy from opening night that they are missing. And with all due respect to Tyler Mott, he hustles and he gives you what he can. But I don't think anybody's putting him in the difference maker category. They are a completely healthy hockey club. This is them. This is their team. And they're 2-9-2 in their last 13 games. So, you know, they don't have that card to play this year. Uh, And when the owner tried to go down the road of, you know, it takes time for teams to gel and didn't have much of a training camp. But, you know, no, like it, it was the same for all 31 teams. Yeah. And, well, maybe not. I mean, there were a few that were caught in the COVID trap. But, you know, in general, like there were new faces everywhere. And it didn't take, I know the Montreal Canadiens have hit a hard patch here and fired a coach, but, you know, it didn't take their new players long to settle in and get off to the start that they were looking for. Uh, movement in the NHL is a fact of life. And so, Uh, Those all just read as excuses, quite frankly, from the owner, again, all designed to sort of take the heat off the coach and the GM and maybe for a couple of days it worked, but, you know, here we are right back full circle to now what, like now what from the owner on down, there's still 32 games to go like that is a lot of hockey to be played for the Vancouver Canucks. And I I think we all agree that they're not going to go 22 and 10 over their final 32 games, but that's the kind of pace they would require to find themselves back you know on the playoff doorsteps and it's just it's not going to happen so uh you know I'm ready for a change I'm ready I think I'm ready to see Jake Furtan move along and and get a new start somewhere else I don't anticipate that you know it would do a whole lot to jumpstart his career but he's got to be frustrated they've got to be frustrated with him it just kind of feels like the kind of move that they should make but at the same time, I mean, they committed that second year with, you know, real dollars that are higher in the second year than the first. Like, that's not going to be an easy contract to, to trade. And, and, you know, imagine the marketplace if they have to tack on a draft pick to move Jake for Tannen. But, you know, that's kind of what we're looking at. Uh, otherwise, you're looking at preparing for a trade deadline and trying to draw up business on some of your pending UFAs. And, you know, if Tanner Pearson's your, cha- your, your trade chip, Tanner Pearson has one point in his last nine games. Like he's not exactly doing his part to to boost his asset value. I know he's got the championship pedigree and look, he's been a good acquisition. That's not me throwing darts at Tanner Pearson. It's just, again, the reality of the situation is he and that line were remarkably cold in the month of February. If you're trying to trade a guy like Pearson, you know, you'd like him to sort of pick up his game a little bit and just the league is so heavily scouted. Now it's not like, Even in COVID times, like it's not like the Canucks are playing, you know, under the cover of darkness. Teams are watching what's going on. They do their homework here. Uh, It hasn't like Tanner Pearson was a 21 goal scorer last year. That was probably inflated by his empty net totals, but at least he was a 21 goal scorer. Now he's sitting here with whatever he's got, four or five. But it's more that in the last ten games, I think he has one point. So uh, again, no team is good enough to get by with one line that lotto line has been better of late but they need the lotto line in conjunction with Horvat's line and then they need contribution from lower in the lineup and Beagle and Sutter went through the month of February getting outscored at even strength that's not a winning combination when your bottom lines can't tread water at the very least and you know we've known that a fair bit uh, about the bottom six forwards for the Vancouver Canucks doesn't matter who's in there uh, who Travis Green taps to be part of the bottom six quite frankly it's not good enough bloated contracts Uh, The problem is that so many of those guys are under contract for next season as well that I'm not sure it gets a whole lot better in the short term unless a new manager can come in with, you know, some real creative ideas, some, you know, blessing from the ownership to spend some money to buy out, whatever the case, you know, you're looking at Roussel and Beagle and Erickson all still under contract through the end of next season. And so, you know, whether they play or whether they're in the press box, it's not a good look on the Vancouver
1: Canucks well this well, is I my think, concern sorry Sean if I can jump in here with Tanner Pearson obviously specifically and why I you know I don't think it's, it's acceptable to have Jim Betting around for another day and you know my pitch is because of course again I, I get that Frank the Tank doesn't want to spend any more money so let's have interim uh, GM Stan Smeal and Chris Gear. Because at least, again, different voice sign that you have done something and, and let these guys out the door. And then now the focus can start shifting to the trade deadline, the expansion draft and the PD and Hughes contract that frankly shouldn't be Jim Benning's job to deal with because he's proved that he's incapable of doing so. So that's my pitch to whoever can you know get to Frank the Tank here is if you don't want to spend any more money, you don't have to but you do have to get the two idiots responsible for this mess out of here because again, are are they going to trade Tanner Pearson for a a, a second or third round pick, even if they have the opportunity? No, they're going to try to save their fucking jobs and make a push at the end of the year. So I, I, you know, unless again, Frank, the tank's going to them and saying, you must trade Tanner Pearson for an asset, which again, I don't know if that's possible or if that's going to happen. I don't see any reason that betting would naturally trade Tanner Pearson or making any selling moves. Cause again, he's done it. What two, maybe three times in his seven years over what really should have been a rebuilding tenure. So again, that's, that's my frustration. Why, you know, again, I was, texting Tom, even when, you know, when he put out, this is way too premature to be talking about canning Benning. I'm like, no, it's not because if we don't do it now, we're just going to slip and we're going to have a whole season, a mess. So to me, again, the, the only better time to fire Jim Benning than today was yesterday. So again, if, if whatever you can do to, to get him out and, and start forcing this new direction, because it's too important an off season to just go, well, you know, let him finish it out, run out his contract, and we'll get someone new at that time.
2: Yeah, look, Stan Smeal's been a lifetime caduc. We know that. I don't know that he is an acting GM in waiting. I know he's been part of the front office. He's had all sorts of roles, you know, from player on up. But Chris is a shrewd guy, and, and you know, I, I'd like to think that Chris Gere could be part of the solution here. My thoughts on reconstructing the front office, though, and I haven't seen a lot of this in the market, When you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins and what they just went through, Jim Rutherford steps aside. They conducted this massive, broad, thorough search that yielded a bunch of shortlisted candidates. And a lot of them were the same old hockey guys, right? And I know that people push back against that. I don't care whether they're old school hockey guys or new age thinkers. What I want to see the Vancouver Canucks do is conduct the most efficient search for a replacement for Jim Benning if and when they get to that point. Because what an exhaustive search does for you is it forces the candidates to prepare. And we saw Mike Gillis with the manifesto, right? Sit down with prospective candidates and hear them out and hear what they think about your organization. Gain the intel of these people who may have incredible ideas even if you don't go forward with them but get them to tell you from the outside as impartial observers what they truly think about your hockey club about the personnel about how they would go about getting out from under the you know some of these contracts like what an opportunity for the organization to hear from hockey minds and you know from there then decide who you want but like Who's, it for, who's Francesco Aquilini going to lean on to conduct a general manager search? When you think back, when they fired Dave Nones, they had Mike Gillis ready to go. And when they got rid of Mike Gillis, they had Trevor Linden ready to step in. They have not done this, stepping back and casting a wide net and hearing people out and narrowing the field. That's what I want to hear happens with the Vancouver Canucks, but I don't know who under Francesco Aquilini conducts a general manager search. They don't have a president of hockey operations. And that's where I think the structure of the front office hurts them. You know, can Francesco Aquilini reach out to hockey people and hire somebody on a contract to run an executive search? Could he hire an executive search firm? Sure. Like there are lots of ways to do it. But I do think this is an example of where you, you don't have that president of hockey operations that you never replaced when Trevor walked out the door Uh, i'm just curious to see like you know i'm sort of a process guy i'd like to know how you get from where you are right now to finding jim benning's replacement and i don't have the answers to that and i'm not sure the organization does well that's kind of a
3: scary thing at this point where we're we're kind of on this precipice where there's an inevitable change coming whether that be likely the general manager or otherwise there there's has to be something to change here and to, to not have any faith in the ownership on down, to have a plan on how to get forward from here. I think that leaves the marketplace just kind of in this state of confusion, right? Like, wh- what do we believe in? What do we hope for? We don't even know what the goal is. There's no plan in place. How do we move forward? And what do we bank on, right? There's nothing to hang our hats on right now. And and that's a, that's a really difficult thing, like, uh, you know, we were talking about last last off season and, and some of the deals that were made or, or weren't made, but like Jake for and you said the second year being a big hangup, potentially they have to add a pick even to just get rid of that contract. That contract was signed just a couple months ago, right? Like these, these are contracts that Jim Benning continuously signs that age out horrifically immediately. Right. Uh, Sven Berchi another example of somebody who gave a big bonus to and, and, that's it. it it was over um to kind of to go forward and not have that president of hockey ops because that again jim benning is the guy that you're trying to replace that's that's really difficult and i know that obviously with the pandemic that adds another wrinkle to things where he's sitting on his wallet a little bit harder than typical but at some point you got to think they got to be bringing in two guys right to bring in to fill out president and general manager roles, at least long-term.
2: Yeah. And again, we never hear from the owner other than, you know, a one-way conversation on Twitter. So who knows, you know, how his views of the hierarchy of the organization and the structure, and the desired structure, like we just don't know. And, and so, you know, when you don't have answers that lends itself to speculation. That's the other thing too, that, you know, I've been pretty consistent in saying, I don't need to hear from the owner every week. But I just think in a market like this one where you've got a passionate fan base and you've got a team that's sliding sort of out of control down this hill, you know, I I think you owe it. I I think you do owe it to your constituents, people that have put millions of dollars in your back pocket, your family's back pocket a couple of times a year, answer some questions. I know, again, he's not comfortable. He says he's not comfortable in front of microphones. Uh, Do it in a, Small setting then, like, you know, whatever, invite a few media people in around a board table and, you know, ha- have some questions answered. I don't know. I, I think there are ways to do it. Um, but the longer we go without ever getting to ask ownership questions, you know, we're left to speculate on a lot of these issues. And so, you know, I, I feel bad for Jim Ben. Look, I just lost my job. You know, all the-, the walls are closing in on him. People are calling for his head. Like that's not an, a- That can't be a comfortable situation. But it's pro sports, and it can't be a comfortable situation with two wins in 13 games either uh, for the team that you've assembled. And, and so, you know, like I, I see uh, there's a lot of talk in the market, too, about, you know, bring Gillis and Gilman back. And, like, in a parallel universe, that would be fascinating. I do hope that Mike Gillis gets another opportunity to run a hockey club because, I, 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 I look, he's a smart guy. I think at times he had some ideas that were ahead of their times. I think he – I want to believe that he learned from some of his mistakes. And, like, I was kind of pulling for him to get the Pittsburgh job just because I'd like to see what, you know, Mike Gillis 2.0 looks like. But I don't see it happening. That just seems like, man, like a lot of – I don't know if it was bad blood necessarily, but ultimately Gillis lost his job. Gilman was pushed out. Like, I I have trouble imagining those two guys – reassembling to come and work for the same owner that punting them both out the door. So, you know, I, I don't hold out hope that it's going to happen in Vancouver, but man, if you were, you know, to take a character like Mike Gillis, like he strikes me as the kind of guy that could run an exhaustive executive search for the next general manager. If the Vancouver Canucks were prepared to go down that road, if that's a role that like, I think Mike wants more, I don't think he just wants to be an executive search guy, but, but you know, I like, that's the kind of person that isn't involved in the game right now that might yield, uh, you know, some new candidates that people haven't thought of, or we really haven't heard a lot of. Um, So, you know, where it goes from here, who knows, I don't anticipate that it's going to happen before the end of the season, but I share your, your issues and your concerns that, you know, if Jim's going to work through another trade deadline, like we have seen, we saw it in free agency last year, you know, he his choice. I think back to for Forvat and his extension, and I was in penticton at Young Stars, you know, a few days before training camp, and they got the deal done with Forvat. You look at Brock Besser, you know, missed training camp in Victoria. Jim Benning works towards deadlines as a manager. He I guess that he feels that gives him some leverage, and he works towards these deadlines. But then he ran out of time, in his own words, and now you've got Pedersen and Hughes, two of the most important contracts. In the history of the Vancouver Canucks, let's be honest, just in a flat cap and, you know, what they're trying to build here, uh, I don't think that's an overstatement to say that those are two of the biggest contracts in the history of the Vancouver Canucks and we don't know ultimately what they're going to look like yet. You know, Hughes, because he's a 10-2C, he's not open to an offer sheet, but, man, it would be so Canuck to see them wait and, you know, somehow Patterson gets to restricted free agency and some other team either poaches or just drives the price through the roof knowing, Uh, how the Canucks hands are tied. So that scares me a little bit just because that has always been Jim's ammo is to, you know, try to use the deadline to his advantage, but there's a flip side to uh, a deadline with a guy like Pedersen. And I know we don't see a lot of offer sheets, but again, it would just be so Canuck if some other team decided that, you know, this was the opportunity to be predatory and just further the Canucks woes uh, by jumping in and and trying to snatch Elias Pedersen.
1: Yeah. We don't see a lot of cap recapture capture penalties either, but uh, yep. we did. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's know, terrifying. <laughs> and the other thing that of course, again, you and Tom were talking about on, on your last episode uh, that again, I've been lying in bed uh, having nightmares about is the dreaded possibility of four-year deals for them both. And again, <laughs> to me, the more blab- bad blood that's built up this year by, you know, an apathetic owner who doesn't have the courage or, you know, willingness to dip into his pockets. Are, are you know, both of those guys going to get upset and go, listen, I don't trust you guys long-term uh, to make this. You guys have my rights for four more years. And after that, I'm going to need to take the power back. I think, you know, a lot of these stars obviously are, you know, watching those Connor McDavid, you know, postseason interviews and just, you know, how just beaten he looks at the end of the year and going I don't want to be that so you know again that's me it's there's just I I don't see any good reason to keep Jim around for another moment again as I said you know I'm by no means am I going Long-term who should be our GM is Stan Smeal. No, Uh, what I'm going is he's a capable guy that is respected within the league. So has the ability to pick up the phone and make those calls, you know, and not be treated, you know, like lesser than, and, you know, again, I've, I've spoken to Chris gear. I think he's an intelligent guy. Uh, and you know is, has done some decent work with the contracts you know again jim goes sign this guy and and do your best chris like he doesn't get to ultimately you know pick who, who he's signing he just does the best contracts you know with the the guys he's given uh so to me again you, you do that you signal to the players that at least you've done something and again you can you can start this process of selling because again i i have zero faith that left to his own devices that Benning would trade Pearson, even if he got offered a second for him by the deadline.
2: Yeah. I, look, I, I I do worry long-term when you see Patterson and Hughes join forces with the two most powerful agents in hockey, like they're not messing around. They're not like that. There's no other way to read that, that, you know, that's a power play on their part. And that's some of, the leverage that they've got they can load up and pick whoever they want as an agent but i don't think it's any coincidence that they've got the same two guys now and the two most powerful agents working on their behalf and so um, you know if you're the canucks you better figure out uh, a, a plan to counter that uh, you know, I, I was glad Tom went down the road and sort of just to explain why four makes zero sense. Because I, I don't know that a lot of people have sort of given it thought. But four is obviously the poison pill that walks you right to unrestricted free agency, and then these guys leave and, and you've got nothing, no control. Um but I do worry about the culture of this organization. And it's crazy that we're having this conversation, you know, eight months removed from the bubble when people in the hockey world were talking, you know, Oh, the best young core in hockey. And like, man, this is going to be the, you know, the team that's going to break the Canadian Stanley Cup drought and all that. And here we are. And it shows that, you know, you can never just judge on a week or two weeks or a playoff round, or, you know, you got to take the team in totality. And and I'm still bullish on the core. Like, I don't want them to trade Brock Bester. I think Brock Bester is showing that uh, he's a hell of a goal scorer. And, you know, just turned 24. Like he's coming into his prime years, but you don't want to waste those, obviously. But when you look at, you know, a player like Matt Duchesne, like I'm sure Colorado thought Matt Duchesne was going to be a big part of, you know, their future. And he got tired of just spinning his wheels before they ever got any traction there. He's probably wishing he was back in Colorado now, but, you know, he got frustrated. And you look at line A and Dubois and, and, you know, five years, not even five years removed from being top three draft picks and they wanted to change the scenery. And, and that does scare me a little bit. Like, you know, Bo Horvath's the captain. And, you know, I, I truly believe that he wants to be a Canuck and, and wants to lead this team to great heights. I, I do, but, you know, these other guys, like if it doesn't go the way that they want, like with powerful agents, you know, I don't think it's, I don't want to be alarmist here. Like, so I, I am careful. I'm trying to pick my words, but young guys are smart and they want to win. And if it's not going to happen here, then, you know, I could see one or both forcing an issue at some point. And so that's why it is so important to get this thing back on track and get it resembling what we saw Uh, at times last year and support these players with, you know, capable, competent players lower in the lineup, but dollars that make sense and figure out your defense and, you know, play Thatcher Demko to find out if in fact he is a true legitimate number one and can be for a long time here. And, you know, the Demko thing is interesting to me too, because if you do go down that road, it probably comes at a cost because it's a contract year for him as well. But ultimately you want to pay guys for performing. You don't want to pay guys for not performing. They've done that for too long now. So if that Trudemko knocks it out of the park, yeah, it's going to cost you, but it also means that he has stepped up and, you know, taken another step and shown that he is a a legitimate number one goaltender, or at least has the potential for that. But yeah, I mean, I do spend some time thinking about just the, the general direction of the organization You know, culture is one of those words that gets thrown around an awful lot. But if you're Elias Pedersen, you can see this guy doesn't like losing. Like, that's pretty evident in his short time in the NHL. He doesn't like losing. And if he doesn't see a path forward, then, you know, is he going to commit long, long term to the Vancouver Canucks? Probably not. So what a fascinating offseason it's bound to be. But, man, like. I'd like to think that the organization had reached out to the agents, start to feel them out parameters, all those types of things. But, uh, I don't know. And if Jim doesn't know his future, then is he spending time on long-term things or is he in self-preservation mode trying to make trades that somehow are going to get this team, you know, are they going to get back in the playoff mix? Probably not, but maybe in his mind a trade here or there can, can spark them. He just, he doesn't have a whole lot to work with, obviously. So Yeah, I mean, look, there's no doubt. Fans know this. There are short-term, small-picture issues, and then there are the big-picture ones as well that are going to affect the long-term outlook of the Vancouver Canucks. And We're at a point in time where the organization's got to figure out who's calling the shots, who's making these decisions to try to get all of this ironed out so that this thing can get moving back in the right direction. Because where they are right now, 24 games into this season, it's a mess, unfortunately. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. It's a mess. July
1: twenty, th- July first, twenty twenty, was when they should have started negotiations with P. D. and Hughes. I don't, I can't do the math that quickly in my head, but we are many days removed from that. And the fact that you aren't calling just to get a general sense of are you thinking bridge, are you thinking midterm, are you thinking long term? Give me a number as a ballpark that you're discussing. I, I, I simply, I don't understand how you could literally have a full time job. And that has not happened once in, in your time here. I, I, I just don't get it. There's, there's no possible explanation to me that there's a good reason to not negotiate with your two cornerstone players the moment that you can. Right. And I think that's one of the questions. If we do get a chance to have at Jim Benning at some
2: point here in this next week, heading to the midterm, you know, I think that's a question that needs to be asked. Like, you know, have you had discussions is there conversation and if he says yes, then okay. I mean, I guess that shows that, you know, some of those phone calls have been made. If the answer is no, though, then I'm with you. Like, I, like no, like, no, like, come on.
1: Like, you what know, yeah. more
2: important what the thing fuck? could be yeah. happening.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, so, uh, you know, I sparked my memory with a couple of things here. And of course, it goes back to we actually had the opportunity to have Tony Gallagher on, uh, which obviously was really cool and, you know, talked about some, you know, history and things like that. And it's made me think. And, you know, since that time, when did or how long has this penny pinching really been going on? Because, again, of course, we also talked about Trevor Linden and, of course, you know, fired a president, didn't replace him. And, and it seems like, you know, the management group just gets smaller and smaller And there's no one ever to replace them. And the kind of bombshell, that, of course, you know, hasn't got out of my mind is, you know, did we really try to fight the Luanga recapture penalty? Or did Francesco go, hey, here's an excuse to not spend nine million dollars that no one can give me crap for. And again, you know, I I have to suck it up and take it because, again, you know, I, I feel I fought harder to get the cap recapture penalty repeal than anyone in the Canucks organization did. And it's still to me, again, I don't know why there aren't daily phone calls, you know, from Francesco or Jim to Gary saying, you know, why the hell are we doing this still? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Let us spend money, it, you know, slap on the wrist. Yes, we get it. We're sorry about the Luongo deal. He didn't even, Benny didn't even sign it. Like who are we even punishing in this situation? So, again, do you think that there's any smoke to that whatsoever? And, again, are there any other signs or things that you've noticed that you know, maybe this penny-pinching hasn't actually just started this last offseason?
3: Yeah. I mean,
2: you know, the fact that they didn't get a longer-term deal with Brock Besser makes me wonder a little bit. Uh, you know, they ended up going three with Besser and, and went right down to the deadline there. And, and it takes two sides in the Besser camp. Obviously, he had decisions to make there as well, and you know if Brock was betting on himself in a, a bridge deal, you know I think it was because he saw that he was going to get a chance to play with Elias Pettersson for most of that three-year contract. But you know, ultimately, was the organization you know willing? Did they want to go longer on that one? Uh, I, I don't know that. You know, like they've been a cap team, so. It's not like they haven't been spending, but when you look at the real dollars that they have spent, obviously the way that they've structured some of the contracts of late, but again, they're in a pandemic. I, I get that. And it's not just the hockey revenue. They own a building that you know hosts close to hundred concerts a year as well. Uh, and they're not able to do that. So I, I get that the revenue isn't flowing for the organization. I, you know, the, the, the Luongo capture recapture thing, I hear you. Uh, it would have been great to see them rise up and really push back, but you know, I, I don't know the extent to which they they fought. Uh, you know, they claim they did early on, and that the league said no, and then they've kind of gone away there. But um, you're right. I, I think that more could have been made. Like, you know, the goalpost changed on the midstream there. That that one will never sit well with Canuck fans. I, I get that. I understand it fully, uh, but you know, it's not going to be repealed now. Like they're just, you know, even if they, you know, protested set up camp out front of the NHL offices in New York uh, I kind of like to see that actually, that'd be kind of fun. Little uh, tent city out front of uh, the NHL you know I'd be there. but uh, <laughs> you know, look, it, it's not going to change. So,
0: you know, we can talk
2: about it, but it's going to stay on the books and, and but they're not in the position they're in. Because of like the longer capture is part of the bigger story, obviously, um, but it's just you know it's been one thing after the other, and and so much of it self inflicted. That one's not obviously, but um, yeah, I mean when it comes to to spending money, I think you know ownership has allowed this management group to spend, and that's been part of the problem ultimately. That you know maybe they should have been cutting corner, or, you know, cutting down the amount that they allowed management to spend earlier on so that we didn't have to go through a few of those July 1sts when you know the Sam Gagne deals and the Delzotto's. people know the name Delzotto and Honda Beagle and cell and Nelson uh, Yeah, exactly.
3: I was just gonna jump into talking about the Vancast and, and the nation that yeah. you just jumped in and, and joined with Rob on. Uh, just kind of talking to us about how that partnership came about and what was kind of on the horizon for the nation and, and potentially even the VanCast that uh, we don't already see. I know the nation's growing really quickly and uh, I think everybody is really, really impressed with the production value uh, and the level of production that has gone into that. But uh, just kind of walking us through uh, what's next right now for, for Jeff.
2: Yeah, I and mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Uh, a lot of phone calls and a lot of talk to a lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I think there are some things happening behind the scenes that haven't come to the surface yet uh, in terms of former 1040 colleagues. Uh, you know, I've spoken to all of them, obviously. Uh, you know, Rob Rob was the first to jump and, and good for him. I mean, he wanted to. Harness the momentum that he was building on the radio at nights and he had the association with the hubcast which is the company that produces uh his show and and i was absolutely blown away when i watched the first one that you know a week earlier he had a job at the radio station as we all did and and then you know the, the legs were cut out from under us and here he is a week later you know with what looks like you know a tv show that's been on the air for forever like I, i'm with you the production value is terrific and full credit to Uh, the company behind. And, you know, I was really curious. I, I, I'm exploring all options and, um, you know, traditional radio, you do wonder about the future and, and uh, the idea of what's being done in the digital space. And, you know, I'm no stranger there with two podcasts now from the podcast to to the van cast. And, and, you know, I think Rob was looking for somebody that could, Talk Canucks could bring him a little bit of credibility on the topic. Uh, You know, it's one thing to stand in front of a camera for an hour by yourself. But I think he wanted to sort of seize the momentum of uh, getting on the air, but also trying to attract and and give people a different option post-game. And so uh, I immediately was intrigued because that's the space I love to live in is post-game. I mean, if there was one thing uh, over my career, it's always been, you know, I love being on the front line right after a game, win or lose, trying to drive conversation, you know, just to, to feel the, the passion in the fan base. And so I was like, damn, like, here's an opportunity, uh, you know, if I can help Rob and, and, you know, spread the word and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it's a loose partnership that I have committed to him to, you know, a handful of games here over the, the course of what's left on the schedule. Now, the question is how many people are going to care uh, as the season goes along and and that's the danger for anybody trying to start anything up right now is you can feel apathy setting in. I mean, it, not across the entire fan base, because there will always be people. And we know that it's building to an off season. That's going to have a ton of interest, but just in terms of the nightly post game, you know, it doesn't matter if they lose four, three or three, nothing, if they're losing people are like, what do I care at this point? So I, I hope we don't get to that, but you know, I'm looking forward to, to seeing what Rob can do. And, and, you know, he's off to a great start he's already attracted some clients and some sponsors. And, and I think we're at a point in time too, where you saw what the big companies think of the market and, you know, now more than ever, it's important for local to support local. And if people want Vancouver driven, Vancouver controlled sports conversation, then you know, it's not just the viewers and the listeners. It's, it's corporate Vancouver. It's even some of the moment pop stores, you know, if people have a a marketing budget and they want to support somebody that's trying to do something that, you know, has a place in the market, then absolutely. Uh, You know, and so, uh, easy for me to tell people to, you know, write checks and and it's, but, but that's where we are. Like, honestly, that's, you know, we're just at a point in time where, um, we're kind of on the threshold that you saw that a big national company clearly felt that sports talk in Vancouver wasn't in its best interest, but it wasn't because there wasn't listeners. It yeah, wasn't exactly. because there weren't clients. So uh, really interested and excited to see where Ryan Rob's a hustler. So I, I'm really curious to, to sort of see where he can make that happen. And then, you know, the Vancast, uh, again, we've got some things coming along that uh, we've talked about that, uh, you know, I wish we weren't in a pandemic because uh, one thing that we really want to do is uh, host some live night events that, you know, we did with the podcast and we got people out to uh, a bar and had a a live show and do some trivia and bring in other guests. And, you know, that's something that we really want to get back to, but obviously we're not there uh, right now. We're not going to break provincial health orders to do it. I don't (laughs) want the the $2,300 fine. Yeah. You get uh, some press that way, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Not, (laughs) not what we're looking for, but, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we're close to making some announcements about uh, the future of the VanCast and some of the things that uh, we've been kicking around. And and then beyond that, it's just sort of where does the dust settle? I, I, it's, a, it's a fascinating time right now. Um, again, you know, I'm not in a position to speak for others, but I think you're going to hear from others in some shape or form, whether it's in the digital space or you know who knows how it's all going to play out but you know the the great tragedy for me like yeah I lost my job and I lost a job that I absolutely loved like to get to travel around the NHL come on for three parts of three years like it really was it was a dream job I didn't think when I got laid off five years ago I explored getting out of the business I just didn't imagine that that kind of opportunity was going to present itself and then to get back in and not just cover the Canucks, but to cover them home and away and travel and see the league and go to all the rink. Like it was insane. It was, uh, it really, like, I am thankful for that opportunity. Um, and so, you know, where it goes from now I, or where it goes from here, I, I don't know, but, um, I still want, like, I love doing it. And, and I want to believe that I've got a voice and, and an important voice in the market and, uh, I'm not ready to pack it in, yet. but I have to make a living. And and that's the danger of the digital space is, you know, people can tell you, oh, you got to get a podcast. Well, everybody's got a podcast <laughs> and, and it's separating yourself and it's monetizing and it's making a living. And so, um, you know, and getting to this point in the middle of a, a hockey season that is spiraling away, that's not great timing either. Because a lot of hockey decisions are made in the offseason. You launch in September, you try to, you know, jump on board when optimism is high and nobody's lost a game yet. All that kind of stuff. So uh, fascinating time. And I just think that, you know, outside of me losing my job, it was that they took something that was so good from the inside out. Like these were really good pros. You know, it was a good group. I don't think the radio station had ever sounded better, quite frankly. And we all got along and we had fun. Like, I think that was apparent to anybody that listened, whether it was, you know, the guy in his truck that delivered and listened from six in the morning till six at night, or if it was somebody that was popping in and checking out, you know, a show here and a show there, like, it was fun. It's entertainment. It's showbiz. Like, yeah, it's the Canoxin. It means a lot to people, but you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to have fun. And I think 1040 did a remarkable job of that. And look, I'm not in the position to tell 650 how to do their job. They're the only game in town. Now they won, Um, but have some fun. Like it, it is an entertainment product and that's one thing i i when i tune into 650 and i've listened more in the last couple weeks than i have probably in the the first three years that they were on the air i just i wish that they could have a little bit more fun and i think that would resonate with you know they're trying to attract 1040s listeners they want people to come now that they're the only game in town uh if people are sampling them for the first time you know again that that would just who am i to tell them how to operate but i would say man i wish that there was a way that uh just lighten it up a little, have a little more fun with it. And, and, and I think people would gravitate to that. So, you know, that's long winded, I, I said a lot and didn't say anything at all. Cause I honestly don't want to pro know, I don't know what people's plans are, <laughs> but I do know that there are a lot of discussions happening and uh, you know, I don't think that you're ever going to be able to recreate 1040. There's been a lot of people that have reached out and said, you know, just start 1040 up yourselves. Like, Yeah, I mean, I I yeah, yeah. people are exploring different things and to get that many talented professionals who are going to have options to all, you know, come to a consensus and agree, it's just, it's probably not going to happen. So uh, like many, I'm going to be interested to see how it all shakes down ultimately and where people land and and what's important to them. And, you know, some of these guys were there for a long time, would have got a pretty good buyout. And so I don't think that they have to rush into anything right away. Uh, but, you know, for a guy like me, I, I'm i a hockey guy. The hockey season is going on. I don't want to sit on the sidelines. And that was one of the reasons that I I partnered with Rob because, uh, you know, there just aren't many opportunities to talk about the Canucks game that night right after the game. And Rob's doing something that uh, is pretty cool. And I, I thought I wanted to be a part of that.
1: You know, I, I think that's one thing at least we do see in Vancouver is we are very conscious of where we put our money, right? And and I think, you know, it's just have an outcry of, you know, people, you know, posting their the screen caps of them, you know, canceling their you know bell cell phone memberships and all those kind of things. I think, you know, again, obviously, I you know, I can just blow smoke here, but you know, you certainly are one of the guys that I know people in Vancouver are willing to pay to hear. So, you know, again, hopefully, some of these, you know, Patreon paywall devices, the you know, Twitter coming out with these, you know, super followers or whatever like that, you know, provide you with the the opportunities that you need because, yeah, obviously, would just be devastating not to, to have you, uh, you know, again, obviously you think of, you know, we lost uh, Botch just over a year ago, uh, you know, to have neither of your voices in the market, uh, you know, I, I couldn't even imagine it.
2: Yeah, and, and look, I, like I've had so much outreach and it's been incredible and I thank everybody that has taken a moment and, and I've said this a couple of times in different places, you always know that people are listening, like when you're on a station like 1040, it, there's, there's listeners at any day part, there's going to be people listening but you don't know kind of what the station means to them or where they are in their lives. And I just heard from so many people that talked about how, you know, it got them through dark parts of their life when they were lonely or didn't have somebody else. And they felt like they had friends on the radio and all that, like, and that stuff just, it hits you. It hits you hard because in the moment you're just talking hockey on the radio, you're not thinking about, you know, about one in particular. And I I wrote about it uh, on LinkedIn, but, you know, I had a guy that reached out and just said like, you know, he sat for hours with his dying grandfather listening to the radio because that was something they could do, that his grandfather couldn't leave his care home, obviously. And, um, you know, he loved hockey. And then that was something they had bonded with over the years. And at the end, you know, he would just go sit with his grandfather and it would allow him to spend time and like that kind of stuff. Like, you know, you just that you're never sort of that conscious of, where other people are in their lives, but you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that we're heroes in any way, but you know, it, it, it does sort of reinforce that there's value in what we were doing and and just the number of people. And when I talked about having fun and how people said, like, you know, the laughter and that kind of stuff, like, you know, you wish you could recreate 1040, but you can't. And so for me, you know, I'm focusing on the bandcast now. I think Grants and I have something good going. I think, uh, Well, since the demise of 1040, we've seen a spike in our our listenership, and that's great. And I hope more people will come and check us out. And, uh, you know, it's a massive void that's left, and people want their content. And so I know there are a ton of podcasts, and people have options. And, uh, you know, lots of people have said, like, you, Advance, you got to, you know, Patreon and all that. We're under the athletic umbrella. Like, we're already behind a paywall. Like, I I don't know how many roadblocks and obstacles (laughs) that, you know, you, you can't ask for people to pay only to find that it opens the door to another pay portal like that. That's not going to work, uh, you know, and, and look, the athletic's been great. And, and I've heard from a lot of people internally there that have reached out and they want to keep me, you know, front and center. And so, like, we're looking at some things. But, um, yeah, Tom's been fun. You know, when I when Botch passed, I, I wasn't sure – where I wanted to go with podcasting and, and it needed to be the right partner. And Tom and I have a pretty good uh, working relationship going way back to his time with Canucks Army. And, you know, this was sort of his first foray into a regular podcast. And I, I think he's loved the creative outlet and the, you know, the ability to expand on some of the things that he's written and, you know, sort of, you know, it's one thing to write them with that part of your brain, but another to talk about them and, and he's a smart guy, obviously people know that much. And so I think it's been a pretty good partnership and, and I, I'm excited to see where that can go. And hopefully uh, again, there's some expansion opportunities and, and a way to build that up. And um, it just I just wish that we had more more good things to talk about with the hockey <laughs> obviously know. we we all like whether it's you guys whether it's i mean we all take our cues from you know what happens on the ice and what happens around that hockey club and it's just it's a dark stretch right now and and, and you know a, a lot of people would come to me and say you must love this like you got a lot you know this must be you no <laughs> no just, just nobody wants party. to talk about this <laughs> Years the the Willie D era and like no I've lived through all this like I you know you you see like those games on that road trip the Montreal games and the Toronto games like no nobody loves that like it's the same storylines over and over and that's where apathy sets in so no like do I like good storylines yeah absolutely but no this isn't any fun for it's no more fun for me than it is for for fans or the players it sucks like they they need to figure a way out of the darkness (laughs) And they got to figure it out uh, in a hurry here.
1: Yeah, when when the product on the ice sucks, what do you expect the news tone to be? I, you oh. know, obviously, I get accused of being negative all the time on Twitter. I'm like, I'm just reporting what's happening. We're, we're not exactly talking about a Stanley Cup contending team right now. So, what are you expecting? Yep. yeah. Uh, so last, I uh, I thought of obviously that point. I uh, I brought this up to a couple people, but just wanted to run it by you as well, because of course we talk about Louis Erickson. Of course, you know, having one year left on his deal. How it's structured, though, of course, is it's got a $3 million bonus on July 1st and then only a million in salary. So I'm hoping new GM is going to be able to come in and say, here's your $3 million bonus and here are your retirement papers because you're not playing for this last million, are you? You know, with the escrow and the tax and all those kind of things, you know, probably going to be, you know, $350,000, $400,000 actual cash in his pocket to, you know, properly go ride the bus in Utica next year hopefully when the world's kind of back to normal. So do you think that there's something to that? Cause of course that would walk away from his $6 million cap hit as well.
2: Yeah. Like, and again, in this zoom world, you know, we had no access to Louie at all this season. He's not a guy that, you know, we gravitated to in the locker room, but you know, like who knows what's going through his mind. Uh, you know, my hunch would be that there's a part of him that said I signed a six year deal you know, I'm collecting every penny of it. At the same time, this has to suck for him. I mean, yeah, he got his five games, nothing happened. You know, I can't imagine that they turn to him again uh, at any point this season, unless there are, are a slew of injuries um, just optically like, you know, yeah, I guess it would be nice to get to the end of the Louis Erickson saga. And if that meant that he walked away and, collected almost all the money that was owed to him. Um, he's not getting another contract in the NHL. I, I think that's abundantly clear. If he wants to go and play, could he go back to Sweden and, and maybe, you know, grind out a couple more years, perhaps. I, You know, I mean, he's been over in North America so long. Like, I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I have no idea what's going through his mind, but it would just be nice for the organization, for the fan base, for everybody to get out from under that contract. And, allow us to focus on other tire fires uh, within the organization. <laughs> uh, but I'd be all for it if, if there was a way that they could mutually part and just say it, it didn't the,
1: work. You got rich off,
2: you know, take your money and see you later.
1: But, and, and, at le- and the pitch to him is it leaves the fans with a good taste in the mouth, right? That yep. you didn't grind it out every second. Cause again, I'm sure, you know, no one likes being disliked by a city. So again, you know, if hey, what you get fifty four of the fifty five million dollars or whatever it was, or 34 of the thirty five, and you get to walk away, and everyone in Vancouver is happy with you again, man, that sounds like a good deal to me. It is crazy,
2: you know, but you you are right. Like it is crazy to think that through all of this, that there is an exit strategy that would actually (laughs) reflect well on, on Louis Erickson, but I think he hit on it. I, I, There's I always an argument.
1: There's always an angle that you can take. And I just, again, I don't have any confidence in Jim Benning's ability to bring that up and, and work that angle. Right. So shifting back to the last one that I have, Sean, I don't know. If I have any questions before we uh, let you get back to your Saturday, uh, but uh, you know, you brought up obviously the best case scenario for us is this summer. We do that exhaustive GM search uh, and, and look at everyone. And, you know, again, theoretically, we hire someone to do this search. So, guess what, J-Pat? I just hired you to be in charge of <laughs> looking for our next general manager. I don't know if, again, I'll, I'll, you know, make this question very long to give you another extra second to maybe think of someone. Uh, but, you know, again, if you were picking the next general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, who would you choose?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I don't know that I have identified that guy just yet. And I sort of, like I, I hear the pushback an awful lot about you know traditional hockey guys, but at the same time, like, are you really going to turn the keys over to another first year guy? Like that was the storyline when they brought in Trevor and Jim and Willie D. Was these three rookies that you know had all been in the hockey world, but uh, were all brand new in their position. I think for some stability, I would want a guy that had some really practical. A front office experience. Now, Jim did have that from Boston, but I don't know if I'm prepared to go with a first timer. And so uh, that's where I, I come back to this idea of, you know, sitting back and listening and listening to what people think about your organization and, and don't hop at the first guy that, uh, you know, don't get locked in that. I think that's been part of the organization's problem too, is, you know, whether it was Tyler Myers or Willie DeJardin, like they, they sort of, they get tunnel vision and they lock onto guys and, and, you know, you hear about in the market and nothing changes and sure enough, they see it through and they hire Willie D or they go and they sign Tyler Myers to the contract that, you know, uh, they, they did. So I don't know that I'm dodging your question necessarily. I just, I'm not sure that I've come to a conclusion in my own mind about who is the right guy. Um, and that's where I go back and forth between Another old hockey guy, or trying to find somebody progressive. Uh, you know, I, I like the idea of a guy like Lawrence Gilman, but and I think it would be an easy sell in the market. I don't know that Lawrence would come back and and work for the Vancouver Canucks, but you know, somebody that's been in it as as I said, the practical front office experience, uh, is a modern thinker, all that kind of stuff. And and I do wish that they would build their front office out. Uh, because as you said, I mean, too many quality people have left and it's just, I mean, it's one of the leanest front offices in the national hockey league. And I just think at a point in time where you're not governed by the salary cap is, you know, I know the organization doesn't want to spend a lot, but you know, bring in some bright minds, like go out there, scour the bushes, find some guys and put together a dream team here, uh, that can come up with the solutions because, uh, right now there are way more questions than there are answers.
1: Well, thanks again for uh, joining us today. We'll, uh, we'll leave it there, but uh, really appreciate it. And again, can't wait to uh, see exactly where you land next. And again, I, I know I speak for all of Vancouver when uh, I know we're going to support the shit out of whatever it is that you do.
2: I appreciate that. It's been a great uh, discussion. It's always fun talking to you guys. And look, if uh, they wanted to hire me to be part of the executive search team, uh, ah, hey. I would listen because I thought would... Like honestly, I want to talk about dream jobs. To sit back and <laughs> no, but to sit back and listen to what like legitimate prospective candidates had to say from the outside. Like that, what a like. like
1: talk about pay per view. Like, I'll yeah, start. I'll okay. start pushing that on Twitter. There we go. I like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> jpap for the GM search. <laughs> Not the GM. I don't want that job. But the GM. No, search. the GM search. Yeah. 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 I'll take that one.
0: Cool. Did you know that most men have had a manscaping accident? (laughs) Don't be that guy. Use discount code ALIENS20 to get 20% off your order online at manscaped.com. Manscaped is determined to not only trim the hedges and make you feel your best, but also to save your balls through testicular cancer awareness and initiatives. That's 20% off by using the code ALIENS20 at manscaped.com.
1: Jack And hey, don't you come back